he's referred to as the man in the back of the room and introduced as the voice of God. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, given Tony and Grammy award-winning celebrities direction, and lectured scads of students. But as he likes to point out, the event entertainment expert you don't know, you don't know, Anthony Bellata. And Bellatified. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 48 of Bolotify, the one and only podcast about event entertainment and engagement. My name is Anthony Bolotta, and I am the Bolotified. And I'm here, as I am every week, with my co-host, my cohort in crime. I don't know why I have to say it like that. There's no reason. Miss Alex Apostolini. What's up, Alex? Hello. Hey, I have to share something with you. Okay. You know, and I hope you know, I hope you listen when I say this, because I say it all the time. A phrase of mine is, it pays to stay in school. You got to learn something new all the time, right? Amen. Every day if possible. So I want to impart some wisdom on you, because I learned something new. You know that if you put a dead body in a pigsty, there will be no remains. You put a dead body in a pig's die. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. No bones either? Mm-mm. So are you saying that we eat that shit? Well, depends. Do you know people that put dead bodies in pig's die? I'm afraid now. I'm afraid of pigs. My friend shared that with me. She said that to her fiance. Are they married? <laughs> No, they're they're gonna get married, but she just randomly spouted out that fact, and his eyes got really wide and wanted to know why she knew that, and that cracked me up. So now, whenever I'm mad at somebody, that's just gonna be my my response. There'll be no anger. Be very calm. That'll just be my response. Oh, <laughs> you are wicked, Alex. I'm glad you share that because you know. We have come to the conclusion that today's episode should be all about Alex, about Alex, because we really haven't had a chance to learn a lot about Alex. Alex, she's always there, always in the background, always has her cheerleading palm palms in her pom poms in her hand, <laughs> in her hands. She's ready to go. She's ready to fight for the underdog. She is everybody's best wingman, everyone's best wingman. She's just the best. So we oh, needed to focus on AA, AA in the best way today. I'm scared. Should I be scared? I shouldn't be scared, right? No, you should no. relax, enjoy, and just, you know, pretend like we're having a cup of coffee. Oh, well, there we go. You know, good for you. I don't actually have coffee. It would be nice, but... Never mind the coffee. One thing that I I wonder about is how you actually got into musical theater. What was it that led you there? And how old were you? So that's a really good question. At about nine years old, I discovered Barbara Streisand. And that's when it started to hit me. And then... And I know this isn't PC and I'm really, really sorry, guys out there. I grew up in Alpine. For those of you that don't know about Alpine, especially then, it was a truck stop on the way to El Centro. And so- Or big city. You know, um, it was diverse in the fact that there was a lot, there's a lot of Native Americans. So most of the school, the kids I went to school with, or at least half were Native Americans and- you know, and then really in junior high, one person of, of you know, one African-American um, kid who to this day is one of my dearest friends. So I, when I was 11, it's part of one of our classes, we were reading A Raisin in the Sun and they decided to put on one of the acts and they said, okay, Alex, you're going to play mama. So again, I apologize I know it's not, it's cultural appropriation, but I was 11. I didn't know any better. Um, but once I did that scene, I went, oh, yeah. And then at 13, 
my middle school decided that they were going to put on a musical every year. And I went in and auditioned and I got a lead. It was Bye um, Bye uh, uh, Birdie. I played Mama, the Mama. Oh, you were always the character, right? Always the character. I, oh, I wanted, I know okay, you. I, I wanted, know you. you know. Uh-huh. You always wanted to be the ingenue. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, no, I didn't even want to be the uh, ingenue. I wanted to be um, in Bye Bye Birdie. Um, oh, you, wanted, Birdie? you uh, the, wanted to be the Anita. Uh, yeah. The, um, the love interest. No, I didn't really want to be her. It, and God bless my friend that they put in. She she was wonderful, but couldn't sing at all. But she was she did a great job. She really did. Um, and so that that started it. And then the next year we did. Um, uh, oh my God, Shoeless Show from Hannibal Mo. Oh, damn Yankees! Damn Yankees! And I really wanted to be that part. You know, beat the Tosachichiko Sananga. All day long, my castanets will click. So that was the part I wanted. Um, and did you get it? I did not. I got oh. the girl, I got the reporter and who sang Shoeless Joe from Hannibal Mo. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mother in the audience. She'd seen Bye Bye Birdie, right? And then she came to see this. But on this one, I really have the solo and I was singing and dancing. And she came up after me. She goes, who are you? And I went, what do you mean? She goes, yeah, Rosie Alvarez from Bye Bye Birdie. That's who I wanted to be. You're right, D'Angelo. Thank you for that. Um, And she said, this is my shy little girl who literally would hang behind my skirt, grabbing onto my skirt. You were so shy. And I said, well, I'm still very shy. But on stage, I'm not because Mm -hmm. it's not me up there. Right. You could get lost up there. So from 13 on, the inkling started around nine. At 11, it really hit. And by 13, I was a goner. So where did you go to school? Uh, college? Well, so now here's that. I have mm-hmm. a couple of associate degrees and, and this is embarrassing. No, but, nothing's um, embarrassing. Well, it, it, it all, isn't. It, it, go ahead. It all, it, all of it together is you. It yeah. all me, it all makes you. So everything is fabulous because you are fabulous. Sh- well, and you know, here's the thing. I did choose to, I kept going. I was determined. I mean, in my world, I was going to have a PhD in theater. That was my goal. Hmm. I had to keep taking a step back to take care of my parents. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And then after my mom died, I went back and I finished those. I finished two associate degrees with 4.0, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I remember one of my math teachers kept saying, why are you so stressed about this A? I said, because I have to graduate with a 4.0. I have to get both my degrees with a 4.0. He said, why does it matter? I said, because it does. Mm-hmm. You know, and he goes, you just need to stop worrying because math isn't my strong suit. But he goes, I use your, your papers. He was such a good teacher. I really learned. And he said, I use your papers to grade the other students. So just relax. Um, but after that, it was just, and I started at SDSU and in the musical theater department. And um my mom had just died. My godmother had just died. The love of my life broke my heart. And I just said, nope, if I'm going to get through all this, I need to stop everything. So I, I left and I traveled across country for three months by myself on a train. What did you learn? Huh? What did you learn? I, oh my God, Anthony, the, the connections that I made to this day, stay with me. And rarely does any length of time go by where I don't reflect back. I met the most amazing people. And I, I was just in this place. Like if my daughter did some of the things that I did, I probably would kill her. (laughs) Not that I did anything bad, but it was this level of trust. So Mm -hmm. I met these people on the train, strangers, that I, some of them I stayed connected with Mm -hmm. husband and wife, lovely husband and wife who lived, I don't remember where they lived and we stayed connecting, you know, connected just via mail, you know, that was before email and all that Mm -hmm. uh, for about a year. Another man that I met, I was sitting in the viewing car and I was sitting there reading and 
doing puzzles and just looking out. And this man came and sat down, really nice man. And we started talking. We talked for 12 hours straight. At one point he said, I'm going to go have dinner. I said, okay, great. Enjoy. He goes, no, no, no. Come with me. I went, oh no, no dining car out of my price. He goes, no, I am buying you dinner. I said, no, no, no. I can't accept that. He goes, if you don't come with me, I'm not going to eat. And I'm really hungry. So we went and we had this lovely dinner and then we went back to the viewing car. And I mean, he was married. I knew all about his wife. By the end of the evening, he started telling me, sharing with me about his son who had just committed suicide. Mm -hmm. And he started to cry. And he said, I don't know why I'm crying. I didn't even cry at the funeral. And I said, well, I'm somebody you can cry in front of because I'm safe. I'm, I'm nobody to you. There's, there's no, there's no worry. There's no consequence here. And he, and he said, you know, I know this is weird. And, and so many people take this in in a totally different direction. And it, it wasn't that he just said, can I hold your hand? And I said, yep. And he held my hand for about three minutes. And then he said, thank you. Thank you for this day. Good night. And I wish you the best of luck. And he Mm -hmm. went to his room. I went over to, cause I didn't have room. I just was sleeping in my little, you know, seat. And the next morning I saw him getting off the train. He just looked at me. He mouths, thank you. And that was that. That's so a I beautiful had story. Experiences like that mm-hmm. all the way across country and back. What a meaningful exchange. And that doesn't surprise me because you are very approachable and accessible. Uh, you're one of the very few people who are able to step outside of their own needs. Um, in fact, you do it almost too easily um, to help others and to give others, and you're very intuitive. So I'm sure you keyed into something was there, maybe not even you know consciously, but there was something about you that made it safe for him to just divulge his life and find some solace in you. That's the kind of person that you are. I love that story. Isn't that a good one? Yeah, that's a great story. So you did, you, you, you did, you are an act, an equity actor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you were also, you were uh, an ensemble member of the Grinch. Mm-hmm. For eight years, the first for eight, eight years. years, the first eight years, mm-hmm. the I'm very original cast first member. original original cast member mm-hmm. before pre-Broadway because the show yes. oh, opened yeah. in San Diego and now enjoys uh, a seasonal run on Broadway. But when you were in the show, it was only based here in San Diego and it was developed and created at Old Globe Theater mm-hmm. uh, by Jack O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, oh uh, God, I love that man so yeah. much. His name is still there, you know, in the courtyard. It's great to see. Uh, And so you were part of the original cast. What was that like? Well, I'm going to back it up a little bit because I, you know, I went and auditioned and I actually got this audition through my, my uh, film agent, my commercial agent, Carol Shaman Freitas, got to give them their due. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just thought, well, it's at the old globe, but it's probably an outside production. And then I was working with my vocal coach and he's like, no, I think this is the globe. And so then I got really nervous. And I remember I was doing Tai Chi at the time. So the day of my audition, I was doing Tai Chi just to try and calm and center myself. And I went into the audition. First, we did the dance audition and I'm a, I can move. I'm a, I can dance. I'm not a dancer. So I was nervous, but Bonnie Johnston made that and anybody, you know, if you do musical theater in San Diego, you know who she is and, and uh, Bill Anton, her husband, right? Mm-hmm. She made that dance audition so much fun that I just had a great time. And then I go in and there's Jack and there's the writers of the show and there's our friend Don Adams and um, I'm going to do and, and, and um, you know, our, uh, uh, his name just went out of my head, Bill, our, the, the uh, audition accompanist. And so I decided to do the song first and I'm doing my song and all of a sudden he stops playing. Now I have never been so nervous and scared in my life. And I turned around with this big smile and I went, Oh no, my friend, we keep going. 
keep going. And then I just kept singing. And after I was done, Jack was laughing so hard. He just said, I think you're ready to do your monologue. I said, I think you're right. And then I did my monologue. What I learned after the fact many years later, because it took several weeks before I got the call back, that one of the writers turned to Jack and said, I don't care where you put her, put her. Really? I had no idea about that. I just, because the, it was hard for me when I first started in because it was with Melinda Gilb and Eileen Bowman and our friendly Scarrett and all these amazing people. And, and I had one or two friends in the cast and I knew Melinda and she was my friend, but these were all people that had worked together so much. And at that point, I don't think I had yet worked with Melinda on stage, although since I've worked several times and the same with Eileen and with Lee. Um, and so I felt like this big mm-hmm. amongst these people that I considered giants. Um, and Tim, one of the, the writers, I guess he sensed it one day in rehearsal and he walked up to me and he goes, I just want to tell you, I am so glad you're here. I don't think you know how much you add to this cast. And he turned around and walked away. Wow. I love that story. And walking in to my first costume fitting before rehearsal started, I had to call Cher because I'm like, I'm so nervous and I'm so excited. I'm walking through the park of the old globe with this smile on my face. He said, please talk to me on the phone because people are going to think I'm a crazy person (laughs) because I'm just like, like this, this big, huge, you know, I can't. Um, and working with Jack O'Brien, the very first rehearsal, he looked at all the kids as we we're doing the table read. And he says to them, you went to the theater one day and you saw somebody perform, probably a kid. And you decided in that moment that you wanted to get up and do what they're doing. And now you have the opportunity to be that inspiration for another child. The kids are just looking like this. All of the adults Mm. sobbing, Mm -hmm. sobbing. The most generous, kind, calm, creative director I have ever had the pleasure of working Mm. with. Tony Award winning too. I always tell my daughter, I may not be cool, but I know a lot of cool people. <laughs> cool by association. Yeah, that I am. I'm cool by association. I say the same thing about myself, actually. I'm not really all that cool, but I do know a lot of cool people. Don't know them well, but I know them. Well, the cool, the, the cool thing is one year I was watching the Tonys and there was Jack O'Brien and there was five people nominated that year that I had in some point either worked with or studied from or auditioned for, or like one wow. was Bart share, right? I, he both was a teacher of mine and I auditioned for him, had a call back for him up in Seattle. So there were five people that I, I knew firsthand, first degree of separation, right. you one know, degree. Yeah. No that degrees. Were, yeah, no degrees actually. That's right. No degrees that were up being nominated for Tony's. And I'm like, okay, well, I really want to be up there, but at least I know people. At least I've had some association with exactly. all these You're amazing ex- people. Exactly. Exactly. You're in the same cycles. You're in the same circles. I'm in the same cycle. So um, that's a great story. You did that for eight seasons. You did that show, right? One year pregnant. One Finished year pregnant. The show at eight and a half months pregnant. Uh, and Ileana was born in February, right? January 29th. January 29th. Uh, so, a week late, so. Uh, well, you had, you had a show to do. I had a show to do. Yeah. <laughs> I got my show first. Melinda kept saying she, she studied our dear friend, Melinda Gill. She studied emergency birthing techniques. She was certain I was going to just drop and have that kid on stage. I finally had to tell everybody, please, for the love of God, I adore her. I appreciate her. Tell her to stop telling me my ankles are swollen and my belly is dropped because those things are not happening. But they do fit with the character. They do. And they didn't, because of the, the nature of the costume, they didn't have to alter. No, you were on, you, you was already in maternity suit. Yeah. I mean, they used to be a joke. I would put on my big green robe and I would walk to Melinda and Eileen's dressing room. And just like Alfred Hitchcock, I would creep into their open door. And the only thing you would see is my belly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. 
I do miss, uh, I know Eileen much, much better than I do uh, Melinda. I do miss those gals though. And Lee, I love Miss Lee. She will always be around. Oh, absolutely. Then you you also toured a bit. You you didn't stay in San Diego, even though you were raised in Alpine. You lived in Japan for a while, right? I lived in Japan. I taught English. You lived English. in Seattle for a while. Four years. Mm-hmm. So what brought you first to Seattle? Well... Going back to when I dropped my life and traveled across country, right before I decided to go. So first I hopped in my car and I drove up north. That was three weeks visiting people along the way. Right before I left to do that, I watched the movie Sleepless in Seattle Mm. and went, okay, I'm adding that to my trip. So that was my final stop north before heading down. And I was there for 36, 48 hours. And I fell in love with the city. And the people there were so nice. I was walking by one night and, you know, minded, I was like this hang dog person. I was, it was the hardest of heartbreaks, right? I was not in a good place. And I'm downtown Seattle and it's at night by myself, just took myself out for a nice meal and I'm walking by and there's this bar and it's closed down. And I just happened to look in and there was this young couple and they looked at me and I smiled and I kept walking because it was a wedding. The next thing I know, this young couple comes out, grabs me and said, they said, you look like you need a glass of wine. I said, well, no, this is a private party. They said, eh, it's the end. Come in, we're buying you a glass of wine. So I walked in, met this whole wedding party, the nicest people. He ended up going, she has to go to work because she was working late shift for some, some bar restaurant. And he goes, come on, I'm taking you on a walking tour of the city. I didn't know this guy. We did. We went on a walking tour of the city. I drove him back to his his house where his girlfriend was. They said, come meet us tomorrow night. We'll take you out to dinner. And then, of course, the shyness came out. Oh, they don't really want to see me. But that was the type of people. Everybody I met in Seattle was so nice that I went, someday I'm going to live here. And that was in 93 and in 2002. 02, 02, 02. David and I hopped in our cars and moved up to Seattle. Wow. That was after, so you did you didn't hadn't met David when you made that first trip mm-hmm. to Seattle. Yeah, that's sort of like a city for sad sacks. Like if you're sad, it's a great place to go because people can sort of relate with your sadness. And it's a great. Unfortunately, now it's it's changed a little bit, but I will tell you, it's I love Chicago and I love New York. Seattle is a livable city. It's a livable, walkable, artistic city. And I never thought I'd come back. I really didn't. We had a great house right on Puget Sound. I mean, literally on the sound, the the sound hit our home, our home show. What did that sound like? What does the Puget (laughs) sound like? (laughs) Very much like the ocean. Okay. Very intense though. Like you get when it was stormy and the the tide was in. So it was our house. And then there was a big deck and the break wall. And then, so when the tide was in and because the sound is so big, there's waves. So, you know, when it was stormy and it would hit the house, would just kind of sway. Oh, so beautiful. And then you came back Mm -hmm. to, to be with your folks. Well, my folks, both deceased. My mom at this point. Yeah. My mom died in 91. Uh, she was my age. And then my dad died two months to the day after I got married. Um, so I came back, uh, <laughs> I postpartum is a bitch and it hit me hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, I had the opportunity to do the Grinch one more time. And I, you know, David just saw, I was just, even though I was starting to come out of it, I was lonely there. I had friends, but it wasn't the, I didn't have people that you just, with the exception of one that you just call and go, I need you now. You see, that's the issue with Seattle. Great when you're a sad sack, but when you really feel you need something, it's too late. It's not kidding. I, I, 
and he found the greatest part to live in. We live just 12 miles south in this little town called Bury in this little township called Seahurst. You, the first house we bought, you could see the sound. The second house we bought, we were on the sound. Um, I mean, I can't imagine if I ever were to move back there, that would be where I'd want to move. That's how great of a little place is. And I just, but you know, the, the good thing about coming back is Ileana knows her grandparents, David's parents, right? She got to know um, the aunties and the, you know, shares her godmother who knew not in Greek. And so she has a community here that she otherwise would have had, but it wouldn't have been as strong had we stayed up there. Yeah. Yeah, she does have a great community here. She's a great young lady too. You, you and David did very, very well. She's really balanced and uh, mature for well beyond her years and reliable and sensible and also uh, creative. And um, she's brilliant, actually. She's got so much going for her. I, I look forward to a really, a really, um, robust life for her and lots of opportunity. Uh, I think, you know, she's got so much going for her. She's really a bright young lady with a bright future. She is definitely a blessing. I, uh, I you know, she's your I biggest blessing. She really is. And, and, and I sometimes go, okay, I, I think I have a lot taken away from me when I was young and things did not pan out the way that I necessarily wanted them to mm -hmm. in areas of my life. She's my payback, you mm -hmm. know, you know, they say not mm -hmm. to get all religious and whatnot, but they say, God giveth and God taketh away. Well, mm -hmm. God took it away, but God gave back tenfold. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I have no regrets because of her. No. Uh, and the relationship that you have with her is exemplary. Uh, so she is now 17, 16. 16. She mm -hmm. turned 16 in January. Mm -hmm. And uh, she does not exemplify what most people think of when they think of 16-year-old mm -hmm. girls. She is focused and she is she has great manners. She has great respect for the land and for her parents and for her parents friends and uh for herself most mm -hmm. importantly mm -hmm. uh she cares about her future and uh she's she's just i'm very impressed by iliana i i think i always have been you know uh but as she's maturing even more so because she's maturing so elegantly I think that has a lot to do with your relationship with her, your honesty as a mother, the fact that you don't necessarily hide things or try to be uh, something that you're not. You're very authentic and she sees that, she can count on that. And uh, it's pretty evident in the fact that you have a, the, the relationship that you have with her today, that you are her, still her, not only her number one fan, but her number one confidant. Mm -hmm. And somebody, the first person she goes to when something is, a, is awry or, or something is wrong. And you're comfortable in that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, very. And, uh, you know, she one time asked me, she said, could you ever imagine having this discussion with your daughter? And I said, no, but I never imagined having a daughter like you. So we, they say, oh, you can't be your kid's friends. You're not your child's friend. You're their parent. Well, you know what? There's no reason why you can't be both. And, and we are, we're both. She tells me she considers me a friend. I consider her a friend. I like to hang with her. I like to just be in her company. We talk about everything. I don't hold back the things that are going on in my life. She knows the nitty gritty of mm -hmm. the things happening. Um, I got a huge compliment. A couple of weeks ago, her friend, who's 19, just a wonderful young woman, and she needed a place to stay for three weeks. She was with us. And Ileana goes, Mom, I need to call you and ask Ariana. And I said, of course, you know the answer to that, but thank you for asking. So Ariana stayed with us. And I took Ariana out to lunch one day. It was just the two of us. Um, and she said, 
to me, she said, your daughter really respects you. Mm. It's the best compliment. I, I was like, I, yeah, I mean, of course I started to cry because um, a mush pot, mm-hmm. uh, but I did. I told her, I said, that's the best compliment you could ever give me. Mm-hmm. And then I met her um, other friend. We were out to dinner a couple of weeks ago and uh, her friend came and met us. And then those two were going to go hang out. And he goes, she speaks very highly of you. And I keep asking, who is this mother of yours? So I'm glad <laughs> I got to meet you. So what is it about the way that you parent that you think attributes to that? I don't raise her according to a preconceived set of ideas and notions. I raise her based on the person she is. So growing up, she would say, mom, when do you think I'll be old enough to do this or that? And I'd say, you know the answer to that. It depends on the person you are. I have an idea. If you continue to be the person you are, keep the company you keep, be the honest, good kid that you are, you'll have more freedom at a younger age. I can't answer you that because it all depends on who you are. And I'm, you know, my parents, awesome parents, but they they were very strict rules. You will not do this until this age, this until that age. I was the most responsible kid in mm-hmm. the world. I never even got kicked out of a classroom, right? Mm-hmm. I was goody two shoes. Mm-hmm. At 18, I could, I was 18 early in my senior year. My friends are, oh, you can, you can get yourself out of school because you can sign your own notes. Mm-hmm. I said, yeah, but if I take a day off, my mom knows about it. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I just don't do that stuff. It's not who I am. I'm a rule follower. Mm-hmm. So I just, it, it all, I, I think that's it. I just, I listen to her. It's, it's about who she is, not about who I am or what I think she should be. Um, I allow her to be her, you know, it, if she wants to dye her hair a crazy color, it's like, oh, you're involving me in the process. Awesome. Cool. Let's pick out teal. What do you think about that? You know, it, it's not this, I, I just don't want to be rigid. And it's, I know I can be because I know I, I expect a lot of myself mm-hmm. and I didn't follow through on a lot of my expect or some of my expectations for myself. And maybe sometimes I put that on. It's like, follow through, follow through, follow through, you know? But at the same time, I don't care what it is you want to do. I don't care where you want to go. Be good. When she was a baby and I was going to a mommy and me class, they said three adjectives that you want to use that you wish for your child. And I said, kind, confident, compassionate. If she's those three things, she's golden. Mm. And she's all three things. She's all those things and more. Uh, so you are now, uh, if you don't mind me getting a little personal, sure. do you mind? No. So you, we're about the same age. So mm-hmm. we are, um, you know, mature adults and you are <laughs> now, now you're finding yourself, uh, single yeah. after all of these years. And how, how is that working for you? It's been now almost two years, right? Yeah, we decided in May of 19, and we've been officially divorced for a little over a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, very good friends. Mm-hmm. He's a big part of my life. So grateful for that. Uh, it's weird. And really? it's good. Are you, are you really grateful? I just want to make sure. Really grateful for? For the fact yes. that he's still a part of your life. Okay. Oh, my God. I don't know what I would do without him in my life. I really don't. He's one of my dearest friends. I can tell him anything. He can tell me anything. I can still cry on his shoulders. You know, he comes over and I just sit and sometimes just put my head. I mean, like a good friend, I put my head on his shoulder and he just, he's just there for me. We can sit in silence. We can do all those things. Um, Are you better friends now? We were always good friends and we're back to being good friends, good friends. I mean, we, we were always friends during the marriage, you know, we would make each other laugh. I mean, literally to the point of practically peeing our pants. Um, and, right. and we're still there. We're, we still can do that. Um, and yeah, it's just, I don't know. I would be very, very sad if he weren't in my life. 
Like so I, you, my life wouldn't be complete without him. So, um, so how is it different for you then? I lost my, a bit of myself. In the I marriage. stopped being, yeah. And I, I don't want to fault David for that because no, it's nobody's you know, fault. It's nobody's fault, but my own. Right. Um, but I did lose myself and I lost my, I, there was a bit of fearlessness there for me for a while and I lost it. I lost my risk, my willingness to take risks. I lost my zest. I kind of lost a bit of my love of life mm -hmm. and I'm trying to find those things again. And, um, and again, all on me, you know, all on me. And we just, we kind of went in some different directions and not bad directions, just not necessarily the same or compatible anymore, mm -hmm. but never had anything but respect for each other. Happy home. And now I'm just trying to get back to that girl. And I know it's silly at my age to say that girl, but that girl, mm -hmm. I want to get back to her. I want to get back to feeling passionate mm -hmm. about life. And I will tell you, I woo-woo moment. I restarted a journey that I started 20 years ago when, when I was married or I know. Yeah, we were married at that point. We were married at that point. Um, and I'm starting my healing practice again. And I'm getting back into Reiki. And I had an amazing uh, evening last night with the master. And I'm starting that journey again, because that's a lot of what I want to do. And I want to incorporate healing into what I do for art and in voiceover. And so I'm just, there's a million reasons why I shouldn't be doing this but I don't care anymore. I'm still going to do it. And that's yep. the person I want to get back to. The person who doesn't consider the million reasons why not, and just tenaciously pushes forward towards a dream, a goal, a vision. That's what life is for. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you're finding yourself and your passion in this and the wonder that you lose when you get to a certain point in life and you've, you've got to be very careful not to let yourself lose it. And once you've lost it, it's smart to try to regain it and to find it again. So, you know, my mom died at my age and I know we've mm -hmm. talked about this and I just officially outlived her. And every time, and the last year has been a little hard, it, you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't, it's been hard, but I keep going back to that. I am not going to die this young. And I don't even mean just physical death. I mean, emotional, spiritual, mental, those are worse than the physical death. Mm. And I'm not going to oh, let that happen. That leads to physical death. Mm -hmm. And it did for it. my mom. God bless. It did for her, mm. you know? Life was not fair and life wasn't always kind to her. And so my, one of the things that I would tell Illy, especially when she was younger, is that you learn from your parents' mistakes and you do honor, you pay them, you do honor to them. You pay them honor if you take those mistakes and you learn and you be better. And I hope someday, if you decide to be a parent, you will learn from my mistakes because that will honor me. You'll see what I did right. You'll see what I did wrong and you will be better. I think that's the best thing you can do for your parents. And so I'm trying to apply that to my mom is when I find myself allowing the weight of the world to just weigh me down. And there are days where I'm like, why bother? Why do I even want to get out of bed? What's the point? And then I think of her. And then I'm like, nope. So I have pictures of her in my room. I have pictures of my dad in my room. And I have this little sign that says smile because that was the song that my, it was my dad's and mine song. And so sometimes I sit in here as morose as it sounds and I weep. And then I look at my mom and I think, nope, I'm not going to, you learned these lessons for me. 
I'm going to learn them. You know, you're, you, you taught me these things and I'm, I'm going to be smart enough to learn these lessons. And then I look at my dad and he's smiling at me. And then I look up at my little smile picture and I go, okay, do this for you. Do it for Illy. I, it's uh, really profound to hear you speak of your parents that way because they're gone. And uh, obviously you wish they were still here and mm -hmm. could still enjoy them. And that is something that I um, know is coming. And I just, um, I have to balance myself, the own staying in the moment, being present and just enjoying what we have and just being the best that I can be in the moment and not worrying so much about tomorrow because tomorrow will come mm -hmm. when it comes. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be looking at pictures just like you. But your love of your parents also defines who you are. And the fact that you had parents that you love and admire today uh, already makes you blessed in ways mm -hmm. that are profound and in ways that other kids don't necessarily have. So, um, and Ileana too is just very lucky because you lead with love and you're not a pushover by any means. Um, and I think it was pretty clear too that you're not a pushover. Uh, but you also, again, I just want to say you're very authentic. And I think that's the thing that makes it easy for you to have the kind of relationship that you have. I don't think I agree with the whole friend. You can't be a friend as a parent. I think as a parent, you have to be all things mm -hmm. when at certain times of a child's life, you know, and I don't think that my ability to get along really well with my parents meant that I wouldn't honor exactly their word, you know, in fact, it makes it easier mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you don't feel the struggle or the stress of altercation, conflict, you know, if Alex could play a role, any role right now today, what role would Alex play? I really want to do Golda in Fiddler on the Roof. Really? Yep. What draws you to that role? She is the, the, the ultimate matriarch mm -hmm. right in musical theater would you call her a iconic matriarchal yeah, character i would and theater? whenever you see it played there's this kind of dry wicked there's a little bit of wickedness about her but of course she's very traditional mm -hmm. but still it comes out mm -hmm. right and the whole right. do you love you like, oh, do i love you you know come on it's like i don't have time for this yeah, I have all this other shit to do. I don't have time for these stupid questions. Right. And yet she's willing to play. And right. so there's just, so that's a role, you know, you think, oh, well, I'm never going to be able to play uh, Genevieve in um, uh, mm, Camelot, Camelot, which was always a role I wanted to do. I'm not going to be able to do Juliet, right? All of these, these roles. Um, but that is, you know, that, but there's, I don't know. I think the roles for older women, although they're not as. Well, there's Sunset Boulevard. I mean, there's that. Yeah, and there's, and there's company, mm -hmm. the ladies who lunch. I and mean, I there's that. And uh, there's ballroom. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like a ton, I think. Follies. Okay, so it's, the role is, drum roll, say it again. Golda. Golda in my fiddler on the roof, my fiddler on the roof, a fiddler on the roof. I'm mixing up my shows now. Our mutual okay. friend, Rhea Carey, she and I had a discussion a couple months back and she's decided that, that I need to make that happen, that somehow she needs to help me make that happen. <laughs> I'm not even sure how we got on that. 
discussion because we were talking about work, you know, I was calling her for work reasons for a proposal. And then we just got on that. Uh, it's just such a long show. And I know. It's and I such a thing, big show. I don't love the show. I mean, I do. And that Illy was in it a couple of years ago, her freshman year before the whole lockdown began. She she played a model's mother uh, in the show. And of course, she's, you know, a mom. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Of course, this curse and the, the postally these women's our family. Mm-hmm. We are always the mother, um, always the bridesmaid, and uh, but there's just something about it that to me would be so much fun. More fun than uh, um, than Chicago. No, no, and no. If if I could be Mama, you know. Uh, yeah. What's her name? Matron Mama. Yeah, because that song yeah. is my favorite to sing. When you're, when you're good to Mama, that's yeah. my that's my go-to song. Okay, so that's a good role too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, we saw Mother Road last night at San Diego Rep, and it was. Re- was that? I'm sorry you couldn't come. It I was know, really quite good. It was really well uh, staged. It was an incredible story sort of akin to the Grapes of Wrath and um, the the sort of themes of injustice only brought to life uh, on the migrant fields of uh, Southern California and Mexico and the farmlands of Oklahoma. It was a very interesting story. There was a Greek chorus that helped to thread, which kind of a little bit to me was a little bit got to be a little bit too much with the messaging of the Greek chorus. And um, sometimes the uh, synchronism of the voices on stage, it's a hard theater to hear the enunciated words when a, a chorus, a Greek chorus is speaking them unless they're in utter unity and that Mm -hmm. because of the way the space is it's round and you're sort of Mm -hmm. seated in the round it's not a typical proscenium where the sound hits you so it's very hard to I think make that come together and so it was a little hard at times um Sandy Campbell is one of the cast members and she was quite uh quite fun to watch because she played a variety of roles and got to show us her yeah, she's a great character actress. She did some great things, and it was fun to watch her. Uh, and the, I the, think my, Jason Heil was in that, wasn't he? Isn't he Jason Heil? Is he in that? Maybe is not. Jason Heil in it? Maybe. Paul, blondish. Yes, he is. Yes, he plays the lawyer. Yeah. He plays a yeah. variety of roles He's too. He's wonderful. Jason's yeah. wonderful. Uh, the two gentlemen who played the leads were awesome. They the, it was well, very well done, very well acted. It was a great show. I'm um, glad you enjoyed it. I meant to ask you about that. Yeah, there'll be more. I'm sure there'll be more. So um, what is it now that you are doing with your spare time other than Reiki and, and you know, non-work related time? What do you do these days? Well, it is work-related. It's the the murder mysteries. And so I have six shows coming up in the next two weeks, which is fun. And and I just got, um, there's a new show. Well, it's not new, but it's new to me. And so I'm going to do next week. I have, in fact, tonight, I I have a quickie rehearsal for it. So it's a new character where I get to be the murderer. Um, And so uh, that'll be a new script. Um, So that's fun. You know, and these are what's so cool about this is it's very little script. There's more in the second one than there is in the other one. There's no script. It's just me improving for 10 minutes. Um, It must be fun. It's so much fun. It's so, and I love it when the audience is tough, when our guests, our guest uh, detectives are tough. I love it when they're kind of jerky tough, like every, Mm -hmm. oh, why are they asking such tough questions? I'm like, bring it on, bring it on. Cause it gives me, I get to play a not nice person. Right. And you can. Which is great to do in that kind of situation because you can just fire back. Like I looked at some guy one time. I'm like, what are you new? <laughs> like somebody already asked that question. Get on board. <laughs> I say things like, oh God, my dead husband, the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> are you done yet? <laughs> I've got you a charity to go to. So right. 
I've created all these. The fun thing is, is that uh, I get to write all these fun little charities. So I, I create these crazy, crazy charities and I, I constantly try to come up with stuff new. So one of them is the Beakless Birds of Bolivia. And I just write, I find little elements of truth mm-hmm. so that there's some realism in it because there, there, there are organizations dedicated to beakless birds. Oh. And then, but then I, so I find truth in it, but then I write crazy stuff around it. So when they're interviewing me, I've got to get off to my newest charity. Well, what charity are you working on? And then I just come out with all this, you know, thinking cicadas of Zimbabwe, all these just crazy things. (laughs) And so that, you know, it's probably most fun for me than it is for anybody else, but. Well, that's the purpose. Yeah. I mean, and that's a great way to make some moolah if you're having some joyfulness in that. I'm glad. That's great. I'm glad it's it's back up because for a while it seemed the shows had been not happening, but I guess the Delta variant or what's going on? No, I just think, I really think that uh, October and December are the two main months, mm, yeah. you know? So if if this keeps going last year, December was a great month. I, I did three shows in one day last year in December. Wow. Yeah. And that's like fun. being in Disney world. Yeah. It was like, like, all right, I'll see you guys in a half hour. I'm going to, you know, go freshen up and yeah, eat an um, apple. <laughs> eat any half and half an apple. Um, okay. So uh, you have two brothers. I have two brothers. And should we leave it there? No. One of, the, one of them's named Anthony. One of them's Anthony. His birthday is the day before yours. Ah, November 7th. Mm-hmm. Aye. Okay, so he's similar. Are we similar, Anthony? Yes. And yes. Anthony Postolides and Anthony, Anthony Postolides. We're very Anthony similar. Yeah. Yes. And so you know, when I talk about if I say Anthony, if I'm talking about something, which one? And I'm like, okay, well, I can't say B A because it's either Boss Anthony or Brother Anthony. So I have to say A B or A A. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. But. He's an older brother, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm the youngest. I'm the baby. Yeah, you're the baby. And then mm-hmm. your middle brother, I'm, mm-hmm. I, we've met. His yeah. name? Yeah, Ted. Um, Ted. Ted. Theodore? Theodoro. Theodoro. Theodoro Posilidis. Posilidis. Say. Ooh, sound good. Greek yes. is such a great language. I know. It, is it great. really is. We don't really appreciate it so much here in the States as much as we should. Like, there's just not enough appreciation Mm-mm. for Greek culture here. We need more fountains, more statues. We need more. Yes. I'll just, I could be your own personal Greek statue. Could you, could you stand in front of the house for our parties? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we'll see. Just, just give me an assistant to scratch my nose when it itches. You okay. know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you know, I mean... <laughs> everybody needs a Greek statue. That's right authentic greek statue uh, it, yes you know that's why i i have it now and i i've had it for two years i've got to send in the stupid kit um i didn't want to do any of those 23 and me's or anything because i was afraid i'd find out i'm less greek than i thought i was and i knew that would devastate me i know i'm part you know i'm part, part sicilian i'm a quarter sicilian and three quarters greek right. um and i'm very tied to the jewish heritage faith it's right. always been something that's so found out there's there's some jewish blood in there and um very much greek i'm a little more sicilian than we thought which also just means i'm more greek because if you're sicilian you're basically greek because those you know they went yeah, through it's like where the, where the tides collide um and there's good. more blood in me which of course because my family was from on my dad's side from constantinople so of course and I still will not call it Istanbul, even though I know Istanbul is an amazing city. But my every time I go to say Istanbul, my little four foot eleven yaya comes to life. Those summon a bitchy turkeys. They kick me out of my home. Those summon a bitchy turkeys. It's not funny for her. Yeah. Yaya. You know, my yaya. Oh, summon God bless. Turkeys. She was um, four foot 11 of mean. She really was. <laughs> so I'm curious to know what it is about your work with us that you enjoy most. Working with the artists. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite part. I love 
yeah, that's my favorite part. I love getting to communicate with them. I love getting to work with them. I love being on site with them. I love creating with them, whether I'm personally in the show or whether I'm, you know, more now, less so much does now I hold accounts that I used to be in the show. Um, so that kind of creative collaboration. And I love it when we are working. This is one of my very favorite things too, is when we're working on projects like for Homestart or for Vista Hill. Mm. Those are my favorite because not saying that any other client or project is less important, but the good that those organizations are doing in the community resonates very strongly for me because that's something that I really want to do. And that's why, hence getting back into the Reiki and doing all that, it, it, they're healing. There's, there's, there's a legacy that they're leaving. There's a mark on society in the best possible way that they're leaving. So those projects are my favorite. And getting to work like the, you know, lat was it not last year, but two years ago, right before lockdown. Getting to work with the people and and that one lovely soul who danced for us mm-hmm. and to and meeting her at mm-hmm. the, you know, the the dance place and finding an outfit for her to wear. And it just brought such joy. It was just yeah. everything about that was joyous. Yeah, we've had some really um blessed experiences uh and what alex is talking about is the little show we put together for vista hill for a family themed gala that they threw at the children's museum here in san diego some years ago before covid pre-covid and uh we had uh part of the services that vista hills vista hill offers is uh, services for autistic children and they have a center and uh, so we went to the center and we worked with some of their students and we put them in a show and featured them and they had a great time and we had a great time mm-hmm. and the audience had a great time it was so delicious it really was and it and it it's so empowering uh to see that happen to see someone come to life in a way that they they have never had the opportunity or at least not in any current situation to really put forth some um effort you know and one of them danced and one of them sang one student danced one student sang and they melded right into the show Mm -hmm. and I can thinking about it now makes me smile standing next to them on stage and feeling that energy that the pride they felt and the joy was unreal. It was so powerful. It was really great. Thank you for reminding me about that. It was great. the, The young woman who was dancing before she was on stage, she was, excited and nervous and she just sat and held my hand yeah she i was, mean it really it just doesn't get any better than that no, it just it, doesn't. it just doesn't it really doesn't it's why we're here right mm-hmm. to you know make meaningful moments and uh you know i hope we get to do more of that Me for too. sure that is the Me best too. part you know thank you for that what's the hardest part The hardest part, honestly, is the life and death aspect of this industry. You mean the fact that it seems like it's life and death yeah. when it, it really isn't? It really isn't. Um, yeah. It's it's the pressure to get the deadlines, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I understand them and I understand the need and I understand where our clients are coming from when they have a deadline for an event that's a year out, I get it. It's not them, it's their client's deadline. So I understand it all. That is the hardest part. Uh, And sometimes even though I pride myself on being a really good multitasker, when you're working on literally five or six things at the very same time, Mm -hmm. and you realize it's five o'clock and I haven't even used the restroom today. Mm -hmm. 
And then I get home and I am just exhausted. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the hardest part, you know? And I think in, and I know, you know, and D'Angelo, God knows, he knows this is a, an industry that taking a vacation from is very difficult, Mm -hmm. right? It's very rare that we actually take a vacation, that it is a real vacation. Mm -hmm. There's always some work involved in it. Now, blessed for the job, blessed for the opportunities. And that is one of, that's probably one of the downfalls. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm ready for a real vacation. I I can understand that there's very little balance in our Mm -hmm. industry and it is very stressful and timelines are uh, sometimes real and sometimes they're manipulated and you, we are not, we, we rely on our uh, third parties in many cases to Mm -hmm. sell our services. And so we become beholden to their timelines not necessarily the timeline of the event or the end client. Mm -hmm. And you can't question them because, Mm -hmm. right. It's all sort of flowing up. Yeah. Uh, And so it becomes very, very hard. I, 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 you're absolutely right. It's we're, we're now in class reading a book called the power of less. And the idea is to single task. They, they, the, the author after, uh, pushing after cleaning things out of his life and prioritizing was able to lose weight and quit smoking and so that's the premise under which he wrote this book and so a lot of the other students who are younger are having a hard time with it because it's all about managing the three most important tasks not waking up and running into the world but taking time and and the book is offering many, many ways in which to do that. And it's necessary because our industry disrupts our lives. And you're right. We can't, uh, we can't even be on a job and focus unless we, like I had to do during Latitude, say I cannot deal with any other, like outside of this for this week, I need no additional needs because this week is going to mess with everything. You know, it's going to be waking up at 7 a.m. and to emails that you left at midnight when you finally went to your room, you know, those kinds of things. This is very disruptive. Mm-hmm. So I can appreciate you should, you should have vacations and I advocate for vacations. Oh, you I do. Advocate for you, <laughs> you to not do. pick up the phone when you get, yeah. And you know, as mm-hmm. are you, as is D'Angelo, when you care about what you do and you care about the people you work for mm-hmm. and with, and you care about your clients and you care about the artists, it's hard to just walk away. Because I know with very few exceptions, nobody is in, nobody's intent is to be disruptive. That's not the intent. And when you know that their intent is honest, you want to be there for them and you want to help. So perhaps I would have more success if I were a different person, but I have, this is the thing that always got me in trouble in school. That was the only complaint my teachers ever had. She won't put her math homework away when it's time to move on to English. And I'm like, cause I'm not done. I don't like to, I don't like to walk away from something until it's done. So yeah, there have been nights where I'm in the office till really late because I could go home and think about it and then I'm still at work or I could stay at work and get it done. And then when I do get home, I have to think about it. Right. And that's, I mean, honestly, that's, that's a fault of mine. And, and I say that sincerely, that is, there's a, there's a disconnect there for me. There's a, I don't know if it's a chemical thing. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it, it. But that's that's always been part of my nature, and it it doesn't necessarily serve me well, but it, it's part of who I am. Yeah, I'm totally the same way. I get it, and I appreciate it very much. And 
it's part of the reason why I think we work so well together because you're conscientious and you know you you take care of things on your own initiative without you know having to be handheld or asked um so it's very well very much appreciated so you also have something waiting for you that you need to collect i think still that you need to um collect down the street there's a little something waiting for you i think you have not had a massage yet no yeah, you have I to have, do that i do i have to do that i have to yeah. do that thank you for that no, you by the way to, yeah do you know what um last week was on december on, on october 7th yeah it was your it was your seventh year seventh year yeah you your seventh it? year yes i can seven 2014 mm -hmm. you and d'angelo well he started a year before me didn't he mm -mm. months months mm -hmm. march april time frame wow mm -hmm. wow he just he just walked right in and said Okay, bitches. I'm going to tell you the the level uh -huh. of calm on that guy. I don't understand it because I may have a smile on my face, but sometimes inside, I like I am um, emotionally Boy, strangling somebody. <laughs> and Angela's just got this calm. <laughs> He's just this wave of calm. As long as that's what you think. Well, it's, yeah, I've really, I have, I've, you know, we all lose it, but mm -hmm. probably D'Angelo more than anybody, less than anybody, I should say. Yeah, yeah. I would say so too. He's very even keeled. Mm -hmm. So he's telling us now to wrap. Yeah. So we could test that even keel. No, we could just wrap. <laughs> Not just wrap. Let's just wrap. So uh, we have some shows coming up, some exciting guests coming up, and uh, we'll also talk about um, some of our past experiences and what's going on. But today we had a chance to meet Alex Epostolidis, and you will hear more from Alex Epostolidis in upcoming episodes of Blotified. So if you enjoyed getting to know Alex Epostolidis, please... <laughs> Let us know by giving us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And, uh, you know, you can listen to us anywhere. You don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us anywhere you listen to your other podcasts. And you can share us and you can talk with us and ask us questions on blotta.com. Just look for the podcast tab and look for the little box that asks for you to write in and write. And that's how you can chat with us. Until next time, we say goodbye. Alex? Goodbye. And five stars, please, since it was a getting to know me. It'll really hurt my feelings if you don't give it five stars. Yeah, she's a very, very, very sensitive soul. I am. I'm a sensitive soul. Very sensitive. All right. Until next time. Peace out.